You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. So you think you've got what it takes to join the Alliance. Can you say the same thing when you're pitted against the Emperor's legions of stormtroopers, led by his Sith Enforcer Darth Vader? Mind you, this is the Empire that wiped out the Jedi Order and took over the Republic in a near-perfect coup. The course you will take is a dangerous one, and we are vastly outnumbered. We need beings of courage, intelligence, and strength of will. Commanders Michael Cohen and Matthew Prenke are waiting to debrief you. As veterans of the Clone Wars, they are some of the best. They even survived the Jedi Purge. You are fighting for freedom and hope now. So go on, get moving. Oh, and Rookie. Welcome to the Rebellion. Welcome back, Star Wars fans, to the Rebels podcast, a podcast dedicated to the Star Wars Rebels animated series. In this episode of the podcast, we're recapping the Star Wars Rebels episode entitled Wings of the Master. If you're checking us out for the first time, I'm your co-host, Matt the Crankster Cranky. And let me welcome in your host and creator, the Hera Syndulla of the Rebels podcast. It's Michael Cohen. <laughs> what's up, buddy? Hey, did I just call you a, a Twi'lek female? What, what's yeah, going I on here? Yeah, I think you just did. Uh, <laughs> what I meant to say was you are the captain oh, okay. of the Rebels podcast. Right. There you go. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> I think you could have just said captain. Uh, <laughs> but it hey, we're trying to tie it into this episode. <laughs> tied in, right? <laughs> hey, uh, so, so Mike, as far as... Um, What's going on in the last week? Mm-hmm. Of course, not a lot of Rebel stuff going on except for the episodes. But um, holy crap. I mean, it seems like every, what, three or four days, I'm getting more Force Awakens, like videos and pictures yeah. and articles. And like, this is just crazy. And, and I'm so afraid now to to even look at anything because I just saw a Disney behind-the-scenes spot this morning. And it basically tells you, what, who Finn is or what kind of what he where he's coming from and I don't know I apparently that's not a spoiler because they let that out and if anybody's staying spoiler free I'm not going to say anything but uh wait suffice to say the what what's that where is this what what where, where is this information coming from it's it was a uh, it was on ABC last night and it was kind of like a behind the scenes type of and it showed uh it showed um some some extra shots of the movie and there was just this guy who's narrating it it's only like 50 seconds long and it says oh you know here's the new um the new crew coming in to save the day he kind of made references to the old and the new right Mm -hmm. and he says something about you know finn is a blank that is um you know, has nowhere to go anymore. What's the line in the in the trailer where he says, I have nothing to fight for? Oh, so, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've you know what I mean? That. Yeah, I've seen that. Okay. So he's basically telling you uh, he is a stormtrooper. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, at first I thought that was, holy crap, was that a, that's kind of a spoiler, but 
if they're letting us out on ABC, you know, somebody's approving this. Mm -hmm. And so I guess it's not, it's not something that's going to spoil the heck out of you, but it's just wild that there's just so much stuff coming out with all these articles and, and it seems like TV spots. I don't know if we talked about that last week. There's TV spots coming out, extra footage. I don't know, Micah, I'm starting to get a little, uh, nervous every time I see some new stuff. I'm like, okay, I, I think, I think I'm done with it now. I'm, I'm just want to wait, you know? <laughs> Yeah, but it's so I, it's so hard. How do you not look at this stuff? You know what? I don't think um, I don't. It, this isn't like a, a, a Marvel movie situation where they're basically going to show us the whole movie before. It's like Iron Man three. Iron Man three was the worst because I uh, the big like the big moment in that movie. Spoilers for anybody who hasn't seen Iron Man three, but it's like it's like a year and a half now. But. Um, the big moment in that movie is when all of the Iron Man suits show up, right? Like he, like, like he has like 40 Iron Man suits show up at the end of the movie. And that was in the, in like the trailers and the commercials. And it's like, come on guys. Like you, you, you took away the impact of the movie of that moment in the movie. Like it w wasn't a surprise because we were all just sitting there waiting for it to happen. But I, uh, but with the force awakens they although they keep showing us stuff they still i'm fairly certain they still keep showing us stuff from the first third of the movie right i really don't think that we have a lot of of the content of the of the film mm -hmm. like the very fact that we have only seen luke in one shot right of him uh, uh putting his hand to the droid uh, to R2-D2, right? Like, yeah. Luke Skywalker is obviously an integral part of the story. That's why he's been left out of everything, if that makes any sense. Like, he's he's the whole thing that they're after. We haven't seen anything from inside <clears throat> Maz Kanata's pirate castle mm -hmm. other than that really early Vanity Fair stuff from earlier this year. Mm -hmm. Um we really haven't we really haven't seen anything yeah you know what i mean like like i i we've seen we've seen kind of parts of the beginning on jakku and of finn uh, uh escaping from from that star destroyer and and that sort of stuff but really like what's in the trailer the 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 final trailer and the international trailer is basically a summation of everything that, that we've seen so far so everything that they keep showing us is just like, oh, yeah, and then there's this one shot, and it doesn't tell you anything, but it's kind of neat, right? Like, that. that's it. Like, like uh, I don't know. The, I think the most revealing thing that they've, that they've shown us in this past week is in that new 60-second TV spot where Finn, uh, the Stormtrooper blocks Finn's lightsaber with some sort of like electro staff baton. Thing. Right. Yeah. That was a big right? one too. Yeah. And, yeah. and I don't know, I'm probably reading too much into it, but why would a first order stormtrooper have an anti lightsaber weapon? Mm -hmm. Unless he's part of a first order regiment that's specifically hunting a Jedi. Right. <laughs> right. So like, that's the only thing that, that I say, which is, which is kind of already like, that's just filling in a gap that we kind of already know which is that Luke Skywalker is missing. And and we don't know this for sure, but my guess is that the First Order, as well as our heroes, are looking for Luke, right? Right. Like that's kind of like both sides. 
It's like it's like the the it's like Indiana Jones, right? It's 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 like the Ark of the Covenant or the Holy Grail. Like he, like Luke Skywalker is, and in one of the Entertainment Weekly articles from from this week, um, they specifically refer to him as the MacGuffin, right? Yeah. In that in that article about Luke Skywalker, so, um, like that is that that that's what's going on. I I think so. You know the the idea that the that the stormtroopers would have to deal with a Jedi every once in a while is, is probably not too far-fetched. Right. Um, even though there's only one running around in the, in the galaxy. But, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think that we'll be fine. Um, as of recording, we are just a little bit over a month away. Mm -hmm. It's the 14th. So, uh, uh, for most people, I'm gonna say, especially for basically for anybody listening to this, we're a month and three days away, right? Um, because most of us are gonna go see it on the 17th. So, yeah, uh, yeah. Like I, I don't think, I don't think that there's gonna be too much more. Um, where I, I believe we're actually a month away as of today from the, from the Hollywood premiere. I think that it's gonna be, it's gonna be those three days that are going to be integral. Yes. And I might have to go on an internet blackout. Yes. For those three days, because once <clears throat> one person has seen this movie, Oh boy. I don't trust the internet. Yeah. You know what well, I mean? What about, like, what about, uh, isn't it France? that gets it two days earlier or something like that. Uh, I, yeah, I think so. Yeah. They're, they're seeing like it. That. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, like those those couple of days before, I'll, I'll basically be staying off of social media. Yeah. I think because I do not want to know anything plot wise about the movie other than what we already know. Yeah, right? so, and I think a lot of these shots, like, uh, like you can sometimes you, you see some of these, like you said, the the Finn with the stormtrooper. You're like, okay, you can start making assumptions onto what's going on but a yeah. lot of these things and a lot of these behind the scenes stuff and these extra tv spots it looks like it's you know extended versions of stuff we have seen already uh so yeah. like you said it's still that first chunk of the movie and i think you're right i think it's uh like we've talked about before i think they're saving uh all the you know the big stuff is coming up at the very end and some of the huge reveals and and jj did say mike this is kind of like this is kind of like a new hope where it's going to be its own story, um, which yeah. was interesting to, to hear that. Um, even already knowing that it's going three, uh, three parts. Like when Star Wars came out, he wasn't sure what he was going to get. You know, <laughs> they obviously didn't know. So they had to make it kind of tie itself up, but still leave it open to future stuff. But this is like JJ yeah. said, this is going to be a self-contained story, but still hint at, you know, stuff coming up in the future. So uh yeah it's uh, i got my glasses i'm ready to go i got my stormtrooper 3d glasses i'm i'm good to go yeah <laughs> i'm jealous we we don't we don't get that oh really yeah in canada yeah we've never i like because i so many movies have done them like all basically all of the the marvel movies do them and like i've always i wanted a pair of the the iron man ones from from avengers yeah. too and uh, we never got those up here. They did them for Jurassic Park, or sorry, Jurassic World. Um, they did them for Jurassic Park 3D as well. And Jurassic Park 3D, they did really awesome ones because they did the, the you know, the night vision goggles. Mm. Oh yeah. That 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 Tim uses in the T Rex yep. scene. They basically made 3D glasses that looked like that, and I wanted them so <laughs> bad, but but they never came 
to to any of the theaters up here because i think like down there it's regal cinemas right that's who has the the ones that are doing these are uh cinemark oh cinemark okay yeah so we don't have we don't have so if i got you some it wouldn't work in in one of your theaters then no no they would work i mean it's the same 3d technology it's just that they don't they just don't sell None of no, none of the theaters up here carry the actual physical okay. product, right? Because because there's like licensing deals and stuff like that, and then I think it's also a matter of like manufacturing them and then shipping them to yeah. Canada. And, well, but, uh, we only have we only really have two comp- two movie theater companies up here. So uh, if neither of them gets it, then uh, then nobody's gonna yeah. get it <laughs> so yeah all that awesome stuff that you guys get because you have all these different theater chains like i i oh regal has the the popcorn right. tins that look really yeah. really nice those those like special popcorn buckets and then yeah so cinemark has the 3d glasses amc has something as well i mean like i uh, you know that there will be like cup toppers at some point and all that stuff we might get the cup toppers we usually get those in, mm-hmm. in Canada, because I have a I have a little Iron Man one from Avengers, but well, here's the thing. It's always yeah, disappointing. Well, here's the thing. I got um, there's actually they're doing like four sets. So the first one was the Stormtroopers, okay. which I got, which I which yep. is the ones I got. Uh, this next week, I believe it's I want to say BB-8. They're, they're doing okay. Kylo Ren, and I think yeah. Phasma. I have to check. Yeah, yeah, they're definitely doing. So Phasma. you let me know which ones you want, and I'll grab them for you. Okay, I, I will do that. <laughs> because it's pretty cool. I mean, uh, and I don't know if these – do these even work for, like, IMAX? I don't really – I don't know. They, uh, they okay. should. They should. Yeah, it's it's all the same 3D okay. technology, right? It's all all passive 3D. So even if you have – if you have a passive 3D television, which I do, uh, you can use 3D glasses from the movie theater. Mm on your tv at home now if you have an active 3d tv which the difference being that like the active right. 3d ones are the yeah, ones the with, the, with the battery power glasses those right. won't work right because what those glasses do is they're actually like switching the polarity of right. the lenses like mechanically like i i don't really know how the specific technology works but like it's actually doing something right. to your lenses while you're watching the movie like it's sort of almost it's flicker like yeah them. right yeah, whereas passive 3D, what it does is it's really simple. It's just like um, it's just like the red and blue 3D glasses from from oh, you know, yeah, decades yeah. ago. Uh, only like one lens is polarized one way, and then the other lens is polarized another way. And then when they project the movie, it it projects both of those versions, and then your brain puts it together and mm-hmm. makes it 3D, right? right? So. Um, yeah, so I, I, passive 3D glasses will work in, in basically any passive 3D scenario. I actually have, I have a pair of, because I wear glasses, so I have a pair of clip-on uh, uh, lenses that go on top of my glasses for when I watch 3D mm-hmm. movies at home so that I don't have to put glasses over top of my glasses. And I took them to the movie theater, and they oh, worked wow. fantastic. Okay. So Yeah, it's... Uh... I'm pretty, pretty. I saw those and I was like, "Dang, I got to get some of those." And I'm still thinking, man, I want to get more set of of each one. So, yeah, for sure. I, I, if they work up there, man, yeah. I gotta, you got to come to, you got to come to your uh, your premiere sporting something different than everybody else. You know, they're like, "Whoa, whoa!" Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. So uh, before we get to the episode, it looks I think we might have talked about this last week as far as Rebels is concerned. Uh, It looks like we're going to go through uh, pretty much half the season before we get a break. Right. It looks like you're going to go through the 12th of December, at least in the States here. Uh, Obviously, you guys are are behind in in Canada, but uh, so behind. Yeah, so far behind. So far behind, but uh, yeah, it hasn't stopped. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Yeah, it looks like it's like I said, halfway about 12 episodes or so before we get to a break. And obviously, the break is just in time for uh, the mass push of The Force Awakens for a while. So, other than yeah. December 12th, I believe is going to be the last episode uh, that I know of until maybe uh, the new year comes around. So, if anybody's wondering uh, how the show is uh if they're going to take a break or when it looks like december 12th will be the last air date for for this year let's make your plans there yeah. uh with that mike i don't know is there anything else going on you want us to talk about or are you ready to go no right. let, let's do it lord vader dispatching because to harm the rebels we can't just run lock down the spaceport we can't beat that blockade the red blades they took her if only we had more allies. I know someone. My name is Rex. Me commanders Gregor and Wolf. We are fighting a bigger fight. There are questions. Questions that need answering. I'm not really a Jedi. Then be a pirate Jedi. The Empire put a bounty on you. You gonna try to collect? Skywalker's apprentice could lead us to other lost Jedi. I'm not afraid. That's what worries me. All right, Mike, here we go with Wings of the Master. Phoenix Squadron travels through hyperspace en route to deliver food, uh, a food drop to the starving citizens of Ibar. The Empire is waiting for them and orders the rebels to stand down. The X-Wings of Phoenix Squadron attack, but the blockade is too powerful. Agent Callus orders the food transport destroyed, and the Rebels cannot repel the Star Destroyer's firepower. The ship is lost, and the rations will not reach their destination. Hera calls to abort before they suffer any more losses. So, Mike, we open up, and we start this episode with the Ghost and the Rebels and, and Phoenix Squadron in hyperspace, and I'm immediately reminded of the shot of the Force Awakens trailer, where this this view of hyperspace from the front. So that's the first thing. I mean, they're, they jump into this episode right into hyperspace. That was kind of cool. I don't know if that was uh, like a nod or anything, because I don't know if I've ever seen that. that view. I mean, I know well, they show that this type of blue spinning thing, but I don't know. Yeah, there's there's one shot in Return of the Jedi when the when the fleet is is heading to Endor. Um, where it shows kind of like the right. fleet okay. in hyperspace, and it and it shows the fleet from like like the cameras in front of of the Millennium Falcon and the rest of the fleet. But it's very much like they make the jump, and then you cut. I think you cut like into the Millennium Falcon, and then out to the to the exterior shot. So it's not it's not dynamic. Like the ships don't come into hyperspace. It's not like in in the Force Awakens where where you're looking at stars and then the stars stretch towards you and then the falcon comes in like past hyperspace which is yeah. incredible oh man yeah. i can't wait to see that in 3d but uh yeah i uh, i uh, yeah a little similar but i think that they're more hearkening to to uh to yeah well, i was just gonna say like this episode 
this whole episode had like an OT feel to it. I mean, as far as camera angles and, and what they yeah. did shot. Yeah, definitely, oh, for definitely sure. harkens back to that. Um, I mean, this episode, it clearly notes how the Empire has, uh, they, they talk about this, they double work quotas and they cut rations on the planet Ibar. And they don't really explain why. And then last week I had talked about, like, I didn't know why. They, they, it looks like they were just being rebels and helping out, like we talked about, you know, Robin Hood and stuff like that. But this episode, it was clearly the Empire was was in control of this planet, and they had the blockade going. So, although it featured Hera, sort of, um, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, definitely, this was part of, uh, like I said, the Empire taking control of this planet. And and, and like I said, it harkens back to to the original trilogy. I mean, the classic shot of the ties as they're attacking Phoenix Squadron. It has that view from front yeah. as they they come at you and they kind of spread around you. Uh, great shot right there. And uh, here's the thing that I don't know about this particular attack. Um, you know, you have a, what, the Ghost, you have a few A-Wings, and you have a couple of Rebel Transports, and they're taking on, I, if I, I can't remember the count, but it was at least three Star Destroyers and a blockade and Agent Callus. I mean, it seems like a rather bold plan, and I don't know yeah. if it was a, necessarily the greatest plan, because uh, they got cut down pretty quick. So, um Plan-wise, bad plan, bad plan. You know what I mean? I mean, they just got destroyed yeah. and not even close to delivering anything. So uh, I don't know, man. It's it's kind of weird. Of course, it's a, this is an animated show, and sometimes you think, like, what the heck? That was terrible planning. You got killed. But uh, they'll come back in a little bit. What did you think of this first scene, though, Mike, Mike uh, harkening back to the OT and just the shots and everything? Yeah, well, I mean... The, the the plan itself yeah, is, tactically is kind of silly because they're they're trying to take a yeah not a very fast ship with the with the although like the Corellian corvettes are are supposed to be right. blockade runners right like that's that's what they're they supposed to do but man it like yeah it, it just seemed like they didn't they weren't really prepared for the situation and. To me, it, it the way that it played out um, was almost like this was yeah, completely yeah. Harris' fault. Like they got there, saw that firepower, and I think a a, a, a wiser tactician would have would have yeah, retreated then and there. Like would have said like, okay, no, we can't we can't beat this blockade. But I don't know. We don't really know too much of the actual backstory, and 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 they do imply. That these people are starving, so it's a bit right. it's a bit desperate. I guess I can see right. that's a good point. I, I think um, you're you're kind of onto something too about Hera being maybe overconfident. Um, sometimes uh, she she knows she's good, and everybody thinks she's uh, she's a great yeah. pilot. But at this point, um, she you, you got to have a point where you're like, you know what? Even as good as I am, this is way too much, and I need we need to turn around. Yeah. So I think that you're onto something there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because, yeah, it was, uh, they, I think there were, like, five, five, like, uh, uh, freighter-sized ships. Because they weren't Star Destroyers. They were they were definitely smaller oh, right. than that. Because they had, like, the three-engine cluster behind them, like a, like a, right. like a Republic transport, right? Um, so, I like, that's, I would, I would imagine that that was the size that they were. Was about the size of one of those Republic okay, transports yeah. from, like, yeah. episode one. Um and then they had a couple of the, because there were three of those, and then two of the, um, the uh, the fighter, 
uh, uh, transport ships, the ones that like each had four fighters. So I don't know, like on the one hand, you look at it and it's like, okay, the A wings are faster and and stronger than Tie fighters, mm-hmm. so they should be fine. But uh, uh, that Corellian Corvette, I don't man, it was like it was <laughs> yeah. going at like cruising speed, and they really needed to they needed to open that thing up because it was not going fast enough. But then later in the episode, when Kanan decides to take the ghost, it's like why didn't right, you guys just right. do that from the beginning? Like if you had just taken the ghost by itself without the escort, I I got to imagine you would have had way more success because the ghost has outrun basically everything right. the empire's thrown at it so i i don't know i it, it's kind of it seemed it seemed kind of silly to me but maybe it was just like they were they were trying for a a a bigger uh, mm-hmm. uh attempt like they thought okay well if we take the blockade runner we should be fine and then they yeah. just got cut to pieces but uh but yeah, I don't know. It was very, it was very uh, OT. Um, it, it had a lot of that stuff. Agent Callus is is becoming a very interesting character in the sense that, like, he's ruthless and he's dangerous, but he keeps failing. And man, I got to imagine at some point <laughs> yeah. that's going to come back to bite him. Like he he cannot survive this season. This is, I think, the third or fourth major right. loss that he's suffered this season. And that's not even including all of the the junk that he went right. through in season one, right? So, um, yeah, like Vader and and Palpatine He's not gonna be happy with this. Pretty, yeah, and and Tarkin, not to mention, uh, are yeah. gonna get pretty fed yeah. up. Yeah, no, I, I I agree with that. I don't know. And uh, I think you're right too, as far as the plan. You know, tactically, it didn't make a lot of sense. But when you have people that are, you know, basically yeah. they said they're on the brink. I mean, they're 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 right there as far as not making yeah. it. So I can understand they're, they're kind of throwing away a little bit of the, the tactical sense of it and just trying to get through it and see what happens. But they did suffer quite a bit of losses there. So, yeah, it's, also, it's also, it's really hard to, um, to explain or to play out a blockade in space because like the, the analogy that they're making is, is like, I. Uh, it, it, it's naval combat, right? Where you have ships on a, they're yeah. all on the same yeah. plane. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and, and it's really easy for, for like three, you know, uh, frigates or, 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 um, even, even like some like Corvettes or something like that to basically cover the entrance to a Harbor and stop anybody from getting in. So that's how blockades, worked classically and, and particularly in like world war one and two right and that's kind of why it's star wars so you always have to go back and, and realize that the warfare especially especially in the original trilogy is is always supposed mm-hmm. to be an analog for world war two right so when they say that they're blockading it and they've only got five ships and it's a whole planet you like your brain immediately goes yeah you just, guys just go up or down <laughs> Like, why are you trying to go straight through the blockade? The rest of the planet is clear. And I feel like they need to do a bit of a better explanation as to why you can't do that. Like, um, obviously, like, there are hyperspace lanes. And so you're going to come in from a certain right. 
from from a certain angle like that's how you're going to enter the system and and I don't know. I, f- I just feel like they need to explain that a little bit in Star Wars, not for the, not for the scientific reasons, which I think is why most people want explanations for stuff like that. Is like, oh well, what's the science behind it? And that's not what I'm worried about. What the reason why I need the explanation is the logic for why, you know, why the ships are all oriented the same way, why, uh, like tactically the empire would set up their blockade there and why the rebels have no other choice right because you would think like oh well why can't they just why can't they just go around and and honestly it's it's super simple ibar or your ebar whatever it's called this is a new planet we've never seen it before right like they just made it up for this episode i would have just surrounded it by nebula and said like there's only one way in and out of the system Right. Yeah. Or 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 asteroids or something. Right. It's like uh, the reason why they picked Hoth is because it it in the Anoit system, like it's right next to the asteroid belt. Right. And so that asteroid belt is it basically it interferes with um, with scanning, which is why the Empire only found them because they, mm-hmm. they randomly sent a single probe droid there. Right, because theoretically, you could just scan a system before even going there, and and find out, you know, like with satellites and that sort of thing. But they can't do that because the Anoit system is is full of all these asteroids that interfere with any scanning. Like, the, and this is all stuff. I think it's like in in novelizations and stuff like that. But uh, it's never explained in the movie. But it, well, it kind of is because um, I I. Mm-hmm. Oh man, General Riken, I think it's Riken, says, you know, with all the asteroid activity in the system, it would be hard to, it'll be hard to spot any approaching ships, and it's like that works both ways, right? So it's just something super simple like that of like, oh, this this system is surrounded by a nebula. There's only one clear way in and out. Um, and right. even even the ghost couldn't make it through, right? Like like and like that's it. That 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 dialogue is all that they needed to explain it to me. Of like, well, they can only get through on this one path, um, and so the empire is going to be waiting for them. But I mean, as it stands, it's it's free and clear. Like that that planet is surrounded by nothing. Right. I don't even think it had a moon. So to me, it's like, why don't you guys just hop to another system and then chart a new course into the planet. That seems like a much more strategic way to do it. And then, you know, find, Sleeping. catch the, catch yeah. the empire, yeah. uh, with their pants down more or less. Right. And, and, but you know, like at the end of the day, the whole, the beginning of this episode is just a, um, uh, right, an course. impetus yeah. to go get the B wing. Right. So if this were if this were Clone Wars, we wouldn't have even seen all of this. It would have been uh, the narrator. It would have been Tom Kane telling us that that multiple attempts have been made to to deliver ration like like uh, food and supplies to this to this planet, and the Separatists have blockaded it at every at every entry point, right? And so it would have been like, oh, okay, well. That's all. That's all we needed to know. But instead, we see it in Rebels because they don't. They don't do the right. the newsreel 
style thing at the beginning. So we see it and we go like, this. It has to be quick, but you know, like it's a. Uh, yeah. It, it well, I think I think it's just like you said. This bottom line is um, like I that a lot of people were asking ever since like Phantom Menace when the blockade or and this episode. It's like, mm-hmm. well, how come they just don't go around? And I think you're right. It's just obviously there's yeah. only there's one way in. We just haven't really been told why there's only one way in. You know, so <laughs> maybe one of these days we'll figure it out. Uh, go ahead, Mike. Yeah. We'll continue. Yeah. Uh, when the rebels regroup, Hera is adamant that they complete this mission. Rex has an idea. He knows of an expert engineer who has developed a blockade buster starfighter. Unfortunately, he's on the planet Shantipole, which is often a one-way trip. Kanan volunteers Hera for the journey as she's the fleet's best pilot. We must finish this mission. If we try again with our two remaining transports, I know I can get at least one through. We don't have much time. The people of Ibar won't last another rotation without our help. I agree we must try. But our entire fleet is no match for that blockade. There is an alternative. I've been in contact with an engineer who has no love for the Empire and who claims to have built a prototype heavy assault starfighter, a blockade buster. What's the problem? Let's get it. Shipmaster Quarry will only discuss his ship in person on the planet Shantipole. Shantipole? Every pilot in the galaxy knows it's a one-way trip. Arrow will go. Kanan, no. I've got to lead the next run on the blockade. If that fighter gives us a better chance to help Ibar, we have to get it. And no one else is volunteering to go, but I know you will. What do you say, Commander? It's funny how, uh, you know, Kanan kind of volunteers her, and she's like, whoa, wait, what? What are you talking about? Uh, but here, once again, Rex shows that, uh, or how much he uh, he brings to to the Phoenix Squadron and to the Rebellion as a whole with all his contacts, with all his knowledge, um, all his un, you know, unclassified uh, contacts he has. And uh, you know, they build, they, they're building this blockade buster and they actually call it that, which is, it kind of it obviously hints at, um, this is a major, a major thing with, with uh, the fight against the empire is there is always they're always blockading and we just talked about the blockade and why it's only one area so they're actually coming up with a way to get around this blockade we'll talk about more yeah. the beagling uh in a few moments but uh i and like i said Hera, as far as kanan you know he's volunteering her and she must be obviously a great pilot and we know we've kind of known this as far as her we'll see this in a minute about her backstory but um you know, this is a—they have to fly into a, a planet that has no atmosphere for these planes, and basically they're just going to crash land. And and Kanan's just fine with having Hera do it. So obviously, she's even a better pilot than we've been led to believe. I guess in in, in this in this series so far, and we'll see it here in a little bit, Mike. But what do you think? Yeah, yeah, I I think it's uh, it, I mean, we've already been told that this season is going to focus a lot on backstories, mm-hmm. and uh, and we've gotten that already because because we've definitely for those who haven't read the Kane in the last padawan comic um the the season has already focused a lot on kanan's backstory and the and order 66 in bringing in the clones um we we kind of uh you know we've been establishing some new characters the last couple but with this one and uh i Oh man, who didn't didn't we focus on someone specifically last week? Well, oh, it, it was, was it was Hondo. It was Hondo and, and Ezra. Um, yeah, yeah. 
Which really, which again, like it focused on Ezra's backstory, mm-hmm. right? It didn't necessarily reveal anything we didn't already know, but it did definitely do a deeper dive into his character and why he is the way that he is exactly. and how far he's come since season one. Right. So this episode is very much about Hera. Next week's episode is very much about Sabine, right? Um, so it, like each of these episodes this season so far has has been doing two things, establishing uh, uh, the characters from the Clone Wars that are coming forward into the Rebels timeline and and digging deeper into the backstories of the characters that we already know. Now that they've been established, now that we're familiar with them, we can get to learn a little bit more about them. So, uh, so yeah, we've heard all throughout Season 1 and even a little bit of Season 2 about how great a pilot Hera is. But now in this episode, we really get to see. It, to yeah. See. Now, did now I know you read the, uh, the uh, the book that was supposed to precede this series, and it, the one that featured Kanan and yeah. Hera. Um, yeah. Did they get into? Because I haven't read it. So, did they get into anything about? Uh, I mean, she talks about. I guess we'll get there in a minute about her past and how she grew up. But did it go into anything about her being a pilot in that book? Um, it definitely, it definitely showed her off as a pilot. Um, it, it dealt much more with her position within the, uh, the different rebel cells. Um, and that like it, it was, it never flat out said anything, but, um, there was a lot implied. And if you were watching rebels, then you kind of, or once you watched rebels, I should say, cause it, it had come out before mm-hmm. rebels um then it was it's it was clear where like who she was working with and everything um that she was working with the rebellion in in a new dawn um and but that that story focuses much more on kanan and where he's at prior to meeting mm-hmm. hera and i don't know i don't know officially where it is in the timeline but to me it because Hera is by herself. Um, they don't. She doesn't have Chopper yet. Uh, uh, Sabine, Zeb, none of them are part of the team. So it's just Hera with the ghost, and and she meets Kanan basically. And then you know, there's a few other supporting characters. Um, one of which I think was referenced in an episode uh, of of uh, of Rebels mm-hmm. last season. Um, as like one of one of her informants or something like like somebody that was feeding them information mm-hmm. about the empire, um, uh, but it is mostly it's mostly about Kanan okay. and his like sort of him being a former Jedi and on the run, and then there's a there's a larger plot about a mining colony and and that sort of thing um, that that really takes up most of the story. Um, because I don't, I'm trying to think, I, I don't think that it ever tells any of the story from Hera's point mm-hmm. of view. I think it's always from Kanan's point. from Kanan's, and then the bad guys, and then one of okay. the other characters. But um, yeah, I, I can't. Re- I'm I'm trying to remember, but it definitely plays up the romantic angle between yeah. the two characters. Yeah, and I always love that too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and it plays it up as like Kanan sees Hera for the first time, and kind of, it's kind of a love at first sight sort of thing. Mm-hmm. 
uh, he kind of he kind of falls for her a little bit, and then, but she kind of just like, uh, you know, brushes him <laughs> off every she time he says something. Him, yeah. um, which is funny because if you read between the lines in Rebels, and I don't think that we've really talked about this that much on the podcast. Uh, maybe a little bit in season one, but it is very clear that they I see. Are, I think so too. And a lot of people are like, no, nah, no, that's just the, but I don't know. This is the way they are. It's, last it's, week's last yeah. week's episode at the end of it, or no, not last week, the week before at the end of it, when, when everybody comes back from the, from the med base and I, and, and Zeb says whatever to Kanan about, like, how come you didn't tell us there were right. more Inquisitors? And Kanan is like, oh, sorry. And then Hera's like, you didn't know, did you? Right? And, and like, the vulnerability that, that Kanan shows to Hera that he doesn't really show to the others. And, like, Rex is also there, but I think with Rex, there's a... Because Rex is, is his elder and sort of, you know, like, there, there's other stuff going on there. And so he's a little bit more he's more willing to show he's a clone so there's history but um he when he shows that vulnerability in that moment Hera goes to him and like basically embraces him right and like that like the way that they interact with each other in those moments and then like they have yeah, pet names for each other yeah. and there's all sorts of stuff and to me it's it is it's a situation of like like the two of them have been together the longest out of the rest of the crew. They know each other the best. That relationship is much deeper than anybody else's relationship in the series. Um, but I think that for for the uh, uh, sort of like simplicity of their of their mission, they kind of just keep it to themselves. And although they know that they are together, nobody else really needs to know like it's just it's just right. not important to anybody else like it's it's not important to the rebellion it's not important to the rest of the crew like but i do think that at some point in the series something will happen and kanan will have to make a decision and he will make a decision that's not necessarily the best decision for the rebellion or for the jedi or any of that stuff and it'll be a very uh it'll be a very selfish decision because of how he feels about Hera. And it'll be very similar. Like it'll mirror sort of Anakin and, and the way that Anakin yeah. does. Um, but fully in a way that shows that, you know, like attachment and, and love are not necessarily able to, to be a Jedi and still, and still have a relationship and that sort of thing. But I don't know. We'll, we'll see. So yeah, like there is a, there, there is definitely, yeah. there's more going on with those two characters than I think is ever apparent in the actual uh, plot of any given episode. Um, and, and I think that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Kanan, Kanan has seen what Hera can do more than anybody else and actually it's funny that you brought up a new dawn because there's some stuff that she does in a new dawn that is like that's that's pretty incredible so um yeah like he knows he knows that she's yeah. that she's an incredible pilot and that if anybody can land on Chantipole that it's her Right. Yeah. So I always thought they had the, a, a relationship, and like you said, that was going to be my comment: is they're they're keeping it a secret, and and even the stuff they did in this episode, there's just a, a way that they communicate sometimes that 
you know, it's you, you kind of get a feeling that there's more going on than just, you know, they're just, uh, you know, one and two as far as uh, what's their call signs, uh, uh, Spectre one and two. You know, there's they're, yeah. they're more than that. Uh, arriving at Chantepole, the planet lives up to its reputation. The Phantom loses power upon entering the atmosphere, and all Harris, Sabine, and Zeb can do is fall, steer, and hope for the best. Harris somehow keeps them afloat and spots a landing platform in the distance. They barely make it, skidding to a stop, and manage to leap out of the Phantom's rear exit. Once on the ground, the team is greeted by Corey, the engineer they came to find. The Mon Calamari is gruff, but excited to have guests who may be able to handle, who may be able to handle his ship. Uh, and he says, if you can fly here, you can fly anywhere. Uh, Corey takes the crew inside his hangar and proudly shows them his blade wing starfighter, a prototype. It's fast, agile, and outfitted with high-intensity blasters, ion cannons, and proton torpedoes. But Quarry says the ship is not simply Hera's for the taking. Pardon the mess, I don't get many visitors. Most of them crash. There she is. What do you think? I call it the Blade Wing. That's a ship. It upside down. Looks like it's been through a garbage masher. Oh, this is one of my most advanced designs. Fast, agile, a narrow attack profile. And it packs a punch. High-intensity blasters, ion cannons, and proton torpedoes. Great. I can't wait to take it out. The fleet really needs this. The fleet, huh? What makes you think she's yours just for the taking? And what I love about this, Mike, um, you know, we get we get introduced to Corey, who is voiced by the great Corey Burton. Uh, and just before this, I have to say there was a great quote. I think it was a yeah. uh, who said any landing you can walk away from is a good one. I know we've heard that before. Um, but uh, tell you, here's the thing about the B-Wing. And of course, we were introduced to this when I was introduced to this when I was a kid uh, back in Return of the Jedi. And I always had the same feeling as Zeb. It's like, uh, that's a ship? What the heck is it? You know, and he even says, is it, is it you know, is it upside down with it? And I've always felt that because I had one of those as a kid. And it's just the, the most bizarre looking, probably the, yeah. the, the most bizarre ship I've ever seen, uh, especially in Star Wars. And, and I always thought, like, they named it the B-Wing and then we had the A-Wing. And I never knew, I guess I just, I never even thought to look it up, but I never knew what the B stood for. And I hear we're finding out that it's the blade wing, but I always thought that the B wing for some reason represented the letter B because the A wing fighter, right? It kind of, I guess you could say it kind of looks like a, an A sort of like a triangle somewhat. So then they introduced the B wing and this is, you remember this is back when I'm, you know, 10 years old. So you're thinking, Oh, it's a B wing. I don't really notice the B in it, but whatever. But I think it is the most bizarre looking ship I've ever seen. And, and, I totally understand the writing of this as far as Zeb. He's, yeah. I think the writers are kind of making a comment on how bizarre it is as well. That it's just the funniest looking ship ever, but it does its job. <laughs> Have you ever thought about that, Mike? Just the bizarre ship that it is, and it's able to do some pretty cool stuff. Yeah, but it for is sure. I mean, ship. like it is, it is uh, unique uh, within the Star Wars universe. I think, but I, uh, but. The thing, the story behind the A wing and the B wing, and how they got their names, 
uh, is that in the script, it simply said uh, that you know when the when when the fleet all comes together, that there are you know like the 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 fleet it's larger than the than just the the crew that that attacked the Death Star, which only had X wings and Y wings, right? That you know like it comes the whole fleet comes right. together, including their new advanced starfighters the a-wing and the b-wing and that's what it said like in the in the screenplay and so then the designers the the model builders had to just go build a-wings and b-wings and so the x and y-wing are obvious because one is shaped like an x and the other one is shaped like a y the thing that i find incredibly interesting about x-wing a-wing B-wing, Y-wing, is that Orobesh is a different alphabet, right? Like, I didn't even know like, that. Yeah. There is no X. There's no X in Star Wars in the Star Wars galaxy. Like they don't, <laughs> they don't use yeah. our alphabet, and yet all of their ships are named after these things. So, um, I I find that interesting. Yeah. That even if it's Blade Wing. I, and then they they abbreviate it to B wing to to like which I think is an after the fact thing like that they they want it's the B wing it looks like a blade we'll call it, like the full title is the blade wing, um, the, I, the, it wouldn't make any sense anyways because each of those letters in Arabesh has its own name, um, and mm-hmm. and I I believe in fact. A is Aura and B is Besh. Like, I, I, so it should be the Besh wing, if anything, right? Like, I, I, yeah. I think that that's, I think that's correct. Um, I'll, I'll get corrected by somebody, I'm sure. Um, but, but really, at the yeah. end of the day, what it came down to is they were just like, in order to make this a bigger, badder battle than the than the first Death Star assault, we need more ships, and so they just said. So there are X wings, Y wings, you know, which we've already seen, and, but then there are also A wings and B wings, mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. and it was sort of written into the screenplay without knowing what those ships even looked like, and they weren't described. It was just like these are the ships that are there, and the right. obviously X wings and Y wings had been featured in in A New Hope, um, and you know we got the whole lock S foils into attack position. And, all that we've never gotten in any of the movies the explanation for what the Y wings actually were, which, um, you know, sort of after the fact, and especially in the Rogue Squadron games, they were highlighted as bombers, um, and specifically fulfilling that that role. And but then the A wings and B wings in Return of the Jedi never really, I don't know, like they they don't really focus on what's better about them. Um, A wings yeah. have ended up becoming. I, I basically the the rebels answer to the to the tie interceptor which is a faster more maneuverable version of the tie fighter which was designed in universe to combat x-wings which were faster and stronger than tie fighters because tie fighters mm-hmm. had previous to the battle at yavin had been considered the most advanced starfighters in you know, like like out there, like everybody was afraid of Tie Fighters, and then here come these X Wings, deployed for the first time majorly at the Battle of Yavin, and they just like tear apart these these Tie Fighters, right? Even though the Tie Fighters have greater numbers, 
the Y wings or sorry X wings managed to like outmaneuver and and uh, and all that sort of thing. Um, and they they have shields and and hyperdrives and all the things that that Tie fighters didn't. So they built they built interceptors in order to outpace X wings. And so then the rebels built mm-hmm. the A wings in order to like I, I Admiral Akbar designed the A wing in order to combat tie interceptors, but now it's all right. that's all thrown out because that's all expanded universe. A wings are being used before the Battle of Yavin by Phoenix Squadron. Now, like they are prototype A wings because they're slightly different from the A wings that we see in Return of the Jedi. Definitely, the the color scheme is based mm-hmm. on the original concept color art. scheme. Yeah. But they're like the designs sure, themselves yeah. are based on the original concept art and not on the the finished models. And then here comes the B wing in this episode, <clears throat> which is based not even on the concept art or anything like that or on the original model. But like they they take the the B wing and they kind of dismantle it a little bit and then add some new features because this. This B-wing, the the prototype B six uh, that we see in the in this episode, it's actually like the the bottom third of the cockpit isn't there, and like they're, they're, the gun is just sort of exposed, which uh, is not the way mm-hmm. that it looks in the actual in the original B-wing. Um, and then, I, in fact, I don't, I'm not even sure that the that the B-wing has a cannon on the cockpit. Um, I'd have to, I'd have to to look at one no, but I don't I'm think so, pretty no. sure that it doesn't and, but this one does and then the uh, at the the end of the the blade the the cannon cluster on this prototype actually has a, a, a gunner well right like so it's got it actually has like a second cockpit um, for a gunner to sit in there and at the end of the episode Sabine sits in it so um, is a very different ship uh, 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 from what we see in Return of the Jedi, which I think is really interesting. Um, and if we see more of the B-Wing, which it sounds kind of like we're going to, then uh, then we'll see, uh, maybe we'll see more of the the B-Wing that we're used to. Um, I always found that the, that the Twilight from Clone Wars... was very similar to like there were obvious similarities to the b-wing because it had the the dorsal and ventral uh wings that popped up and that closed up when it would land so it was very similar but it was kind of like a cross between a b-wing and the millennium falcon because it was more of a freighter um Mm -hmm. but like this this sort of like almost bridges that gap so you can kind of see an evolution there that maybe quarry was was basing his designs off of something like the twilight and uh, i can almost like imagine a backstory where Corey was you know like he was he was part of the republic at some point because you know mon cal was part of the republic and he saw anakin skywalker pilot the twilight and was like now there's a design that i could work with right and he sort of built yeah. <laughs> it based off of that um but but i like how in this they've given They've really given the B-wing a a job within the fleet. Um, like I said, like the X-wings are sort of the workhorse. They're they're your your all around awesome starfighter. 
um, Y wings are bombers and they're a little bit heavier duty, um, a little bit stronger and tougher. Uh, and then you've got the A wings, which are a little bit weaker, but they're faster. They, and they definitely have more weapons than an X wing. Um, but then you've got the B wing, which is, which is really about like, like the, it's this blockade buster that it's, it's bristling with firepower and it's hard to hit. Right. Like that, that, right. right. That profile design, yeah. right. <clears throat> allows it to be like, it's a larger ship. It's larger than any of the other fighters, but both in, in its profile and the way that it's piloted with that gyroscopic cockpit <clears throat> allows it to basically avoid getting hit. Right. While, while still right. having the size to, to maintain all of the, the weapons that it has. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think like I've always found the B wing to be a really interesting design and it is one of the fighters that I, that I've always liked the most. I mean, if I, if I ranked them, it would probably go X wing and then B wing. Um, mm-hmm. and then probably the A wing and then Y wing at the bottom. Right. But, uh, but it yeah. is, it, it is really interesting. And the, the other aspect of it that I find really interesting is the way that Dave Filoni has talked about it, that, when we see General Dodonna's crew, and this is all in the Rebels Recon, when you see General Dodonna's crew in uh, A New Hope, they have X-Wings and Y-Wings. Those are the fighters that they have at their disposal. But then Sato and his crew with Phoenix Squadron, they cruise around in A-Wings, and now they're adding B-Wings to their to their battalion, right? Like, to their fleet, and then in Return of the Jedi, that's when we see all of them come together. So we're almost kind of like everybody's going like, well, when do we see this crew, like the ghost crew and everybody else hook up with the rest of the rebellion? How do they tie into everything else? And we're almost we've almost already seen it because now we're seeing A wings and B wings being a part of of Phoenix Squadron. And I think that as Hera pilots, like as she leads Phoenix Squadron, we'll talk about it a little bit more at the end of the episode, but as she leads, like I think she'll be leading it in this B-Wing, right? Like mm-hmm. she's not going to get into an A-Wing to lead Phoenix Squadron. She'll lead Phoenix Squadron in this B-Wing, and then they'll be, there will be A-Wings and then eventually also B-Wings with them. And then we see them all come together in Return of the Jedi. So it's entirely possible now with this information that Hera was at the battle of, of, of Endor and she was piloting one of those B wings. Like, like that, that's Mm -hmm. entirely possible. Um, yeah. And makes sense. That's where I was going with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because, because we saw blockade runners at, at the, the battle of Endor. Um, they're kind of hard to spot because they're small in amongst like the, the nebulons and the, and the Mon Cal cruisers. But, but they were there. So those could have like, like Sato could be on one of those. And, and you know, like, like the, the squadrons, cause rogue squadron wasn't called rogue squadron at the battle of Endor. They were red group because X wings were red group. Uh, y wings were gold group. B wings were uh, blue group. And then a wings were green group. Right. So like, like they were, cause they, they kind of shed their individual, squadron names for the tactical simplicity of of red gold 
blue and green, right? Um, right. So yeah, like uh, it's it's entirely possible, and uh, until I'm told otherwise, I'm going to choose to believe that that those X sorry the B wings and A wings are Phoenix Squadron, and that Hera is absolutely there. Yeah, um, I was gonna go there at the end. Yeah, yeah I think you're onto something there. Uh, well, and just before we go on, I think when they, the introduction of all these new fighters is just like our our militaries. You know, like it's just like our military. I mean, there's yeah. there's different crafts for different things. You know, you got fighters, you have bombers, you got you know helicopters. There's different different aspects of, of the war where they're going to need different styles and yeah. different ships. And and the blade wing is a perfect name for it because it does look like a, a blade flying through the sky. Um, I'll continue here. While the Empire has cut all rations to Ibar and waits for the rebels to return, uh, work continues on Chantipole. Corey is unconvinced that Hera is the right pilot for his ship, but upon hearing her story, living through the Clone Wars, leaving home early, uh, home to learn to fly, and needing to help others up in the sky, his mind is settled. Hera will be his test pilot. And before we get to this point, there's a shot with um, Callus, and they're talking about some things about how, you know, he knows. And this is the thing about Callus, like mm-hmm. he's smart, right? And he's and he's always. He's always outdone by the ghost crew. We've seen that through two seasons now. But he's still he's still very he's a very savvy leader, and he's like he's smart enough, obviously, because that's, he's in that position. Um, he's smart enough, and he knows what the rebels he knows they're going to come back. But it's just the fact that he keeps failing. You know, he he keeps getting yeah. one up by the rebels crew. But you know, he's still a smart guy. I mean, he's still in that position for a reason. But like you said, it's just. It's going to be one too many times that he's going to he's going to mess up and and uh, he's going to it's going to cost him somehow. Yeah, Um, we'll see. Go ahead, Mike. Uh, Before takeoff, Sabine asks how many times Corey has flown the blade wing. Corey states he's not a pilot and has never tested the ship. Corey admits it's better to be down here wishing I was up there than up there crashing back down here. Hera takes off. The fighter briefly plummets. But Hera gains control, hits the thrusters, and soars upward. The ship is unbelievably fast, and Hera tests its maneuverability, gyroscopic rotating cockpit, and powerful weapons. Masterful, Quarry says, in amazement of Hera's abilities. Hera returns, impressed with the Blade Wing's firepower, but says the targeting system needs work. Sabine has some ideas, and despite Quarry's resistance, she gets to work. So I think... As far as this ship is concerned, and, and it says right here, the gyroscopic rotating cockpit kind of was new to me. I didn't even know that it did that. Um, oh, you didn't probably, know that? No, because I, you know, in, in the in the original trilogy, you don't. It doesn't really, you know, focus on it like yeah. it does here. And I just never noticed it. And I noticed it in the show. I'm like, wait a minute, she's like rotating on axis or however yeah. you want to say yeah. it. As See, the ship goes around. Oh, that's freaking cool. Now, Rogue Squadron and playing those video games, it gives you an, like an intimate familiarity with all of these ships and how they work because um, the way that the B-Wing uh, rolls compared to the other ships, all the other ships roll on their center. Right. But the B-Wing rolls on the cockpit. Cockpit, right, yeah. Okay. So you can you can get it to, like, when you roll, you basically get the the side of it to come off. It's it's the same way that um, 
that you would want the Falcon to work, but the Falcon doesn't work that right. way because you would exactly. want the Falcon to roll on the cockpit. But uh, that's why like, I've, I've always kind of looked at the B-Wing as, as almost like a fighter version of, of the Millennium Falcon. The Falcon, yeah. Because the cockpits are very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, like it's off to one side as opposed to being um, uh, like the central cockpit that you would expect in most ships. Right. Um, the, the, the Outrider works the same way, uh, the, which is the... the uh, uh, Dash Rendar ship Rendar from ship. Shadows yeah. of the Empire. It mm-hmm. the, the the cockpit on that, um, I believe, is is gyroscopic as well, um, and that might just have been the toy, but but that's kind of how I've always pictured that ship working as well, and it being being it's a, a similar to uh, uh, the B wing. Um, mm-hmm. kind of another thing that like sort of bridges the gap there but but again like the 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 outrider it, the thing about star wars that's so funny is that we have all of these different points in time and we fill in gaps but when you look at like the production timeline it's always very different <laughs> yeah so it's like it was actually like done out of out of sequence but uh so the the outrider comes after the b-wing in terms of like when it was created, but in terms of when you see it in the in the film or in in the chronology, it comes before. So mm-hmm. I don't know, I've always found that interesting. Yeah, I know it's. Yeah, I, I just I don't know why. I guess I knew it, but I just forgot about it you or just whatever. Never really thought about it. Yeah, I just never thought yeah. about it. And I just look watching the episode. I'm like, oh, that that's the, cool. The, to- the toys were always like that. Mm-hmm. So like that's you know like is that, that to me that was always one of the coolest things about the b-wing was the fact that the 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 cockpit could sort of stick on one axis while the rest of the ship moved around i always thought that that was really cool yeah yeah definitely um has advantages as far as uh, as as a fighter and, and you know navigating yeah possible you know asteroid fields and all that kind of thing just like the falcon so uh anyway uh go ahead mike we'll keep going <clears throat> Uh, Kanan contacts Hera, informing her that Ibar is about. Uh, sorry, Ibar is at its breaking point. They're out of time, but things are more complicated. The Blade Wing's hyperdrive isn't working. There's a solution, however. Quarry has taken the liberty of installing a hyperdrive on the Phantom. So here's the thing: mm-hmm. I didn't notice this until I looked at the trivia from from this episode and the trivia thing had wasn't up until today. Like I checked it yesterday and the it was supposed to be up but it it was broken like the the links weren't working um the phantom sustained some pretty heavy damage on the way into shantipal and quarry says that he'll fix it up right now he doesn't just fix it up they redesigned the phantom yeah like it the 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 engines are are new like they're they're beefed up um, the the cannons on the front are, are beefed up and then uh, the wing design as well as because the wing has to change in order to accommodate these new engines and uh, they add a droid socket to the top of it mm-hmm. in order for the, it's like for the new hyperdrive 
So like they they upgraded the Phantom in this Big episode time, yeah. and didn't even talk about it. Like they just kind of like like he mentions, oh yeah, I fixed up the the hype. Like I added a new hyperdrive because I couldn't bear to see it with that with that crummy old one that you had. And it's like, wait wait a second. Like they they made all these other changes as well. Like they did all this other stuff to it. Um, and then the solution that they come up with, I was like. Is, I I mean I guess that works if the <laughs> Phantom is connected to the Ghost when it goes into hyperdrive. There's nothing that says that the the hyperdrive on the go on the Phantom couldn't attach it to another ship and take yeah, it was, into hyperspace. Wild, huh? So that 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 kind of like when Hera goes like I have an idea. I was like, what's your idea? Are you gonna take the hyperdrive out of the Phantom and put it in? Like you don't have time for that. Yeah. Like well, I don't understand what this idea is. Yeah. It was really unclear, but that kind of added to the suspense. So. Yeah, it's like the space shuttle uh, hitching a ride on a jumbo jet or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the rebels arrive back at Ibar, but again, the Imperial ships are too strong. It seems as if all ho- uh, all may be lost until a familiar voice cuts through the radio chatter. Zeb and Corey are in the Phantom. The blade wing anchored below with Hera at the controls and Sabine matting the tail gun. Hera heads for the Imperial blockade with the ghosts providing cover. The Star Destroyers continue to fire and officers notice that the unidentified ship is taking the lead and moving into attack position. Hera gets a clear shot and opens fire on an Imperial cruiser. The B-wing's four laser cannons channel their energy into a single focused beam. Uh, Kallus watches awestruck as the blast obliterates one of his ships. Cannon leads the rebel convoy safely through the blockade, successfully delivering the food samples to the people in need. So the two major things I got of this was, wow, the cannon, and we saw actually it before when she was testing it, but this this yeah. almost Death Star type of, of targeting system and weapon system that completely, yeah. and here's the thing, Mike, this thing, this B-Wing totally destroyed, um, and again, we're not talking like a huge Star Destroyer, but but this, um, I guess, cruiser, Imperial cruiser, I mean, it totally obliterated yeah. that thing. So the weapon system on this B-Wing are, are big time. So that was the thing I got out of this. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it definitely, it devastates them. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a powerful yeah, ship, definitely. this one. Uh, and, you know, like, we don't see a, a B-Wing do that in in uh return of the jedi and i think the reason why we don't see it in return of the jedi is because this is the prototype and all of those those uh modifications like all of those improvements that we've that we talked about earlier the the cannon under the cockpit the second cockpit uh like that the gunner cockpit all of that like it, it makes it a much more powerful ship but uh yeah, it is. It's it's really cool when you see that the laser, as opposed to you know just regular blaster mm-hmm. fire, um, then it comes together and it does do that sort of Death Star esque yeah. um, uh, four lasers coming together to to create this super powerful uh, uh, blast that that definitely yeah it it destroys one of the fairly quickly yeah. The, yeah, cruisers. fairly quickly, and and again, these these ships, um, and they make it known here that these aren't these B wings, these aren't, and you alluded to this earlier, Mike. These aren't like X wings where they're fast or nimble, uh, and all yeah. that thing. These are more made to to follow 
kind of like we've seen in Return of the Jedi, um, kind of in the rear, let the let the X-Wings and A-Wings do their thing, and these things will come in and, and just yeah. lay some waste, man, do some damage. So uh, really cool to see that. Go ahead, Michael, finish it up. Oh, uh, back at the rendezvous point, Commander Sato has good news. Senator Organa has found a manufacturer willing to build more B-Wings in secret. Hera thanks Quarry, but the Mon Calamari won't have it. I just hammered it together, young pilot, he says. You made it sore. Uh, Sato agrees, and citing her skill and leadership, promotes Hera to Phoenix leader. Senator Organa has found a shipwork sympathetic to our cause and willing to manufacture more of these B-wings in secret. Project Chantipole will continue under my supervision, of course. There are many adjustments that need to be made. Quarry, thanks to you and your ship, we helped many people today. I just hammered it together, young pilot. You made it soar. Indeed. Your heroics are unparalleled, Captain Sindula. That is why I agree with Kanan's recommendation. Your recommendation? What have you done now? Just listen to the commander. You are to be promoted to Phoenix leader. Our fighter pilots will benefit greatly from your expertise. Good job, Captain Hera. So, Mike, I have the same... I had the same thoughts as you after I heard this portion and saw the end here. I'm thinking to myself, you know what? Her being a captain, basically in charge of of this new upcoming Rebel Alliance, like she's in charge of showing these guys the ropes. And and I just have to think that she did, like you said, made it and and is part of that attack on on Death Star 2. Or, you know, kind of found her way all the way up through that very end of the OT. Just the way they, they do this, like, that would be so cool to to know that. And, and, and I, I, I did think that, too. I just think, wow, she's she's part of, you know, she's a captain now. She's part of, of showing these all these pilots that are going to be coming up uh, what it is and, and how to pilot. And mm-hmm. I just think that'd be a cool thing. I think I love your your theory that she is she's part of that final run in uh, yeah. Turn of the Jedi. So let's let's also be really clear about something else in this episode. I. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sato says that the his fighter pilots will uh, will benefit greatly from her expertise, and let's hope so, because so far uh, we were promised awesome things with the with the Phoenix Squadron, and so far Phoenix Squadron sucks. Yeah, they're terrible. <laughs> like, they're, they are <laughs> the wasted. worst. Yeah. and and like granted, the first time we really saw them in action, they went up against Darth Vader. But Darth Vader decimated them, okay? <laughs> By himself. Like, yeah. like, he cut through them like a knife. In a TIE fighter, yeah. Yeah, yeah in, a, in a TIE fighter. And, like, by himself. Yeah. Alone. Like, they weren't even good enough to escape and get out of there. Yeah. Uh, he just basically destroyed all of them. So, that's the first part. The second part, like, the Phoenix Squadron that was in this episode is not the same Phoenix Squadron that was in that opening. Like, Phoenix Squadron's basically been replaced now twice because they, they also get, like, all but one fighter, uh, I think, makes it, makes it, it uh, is destroyed in this, in this episode at the beginning. So, um, yeah, like, she's basically got to train a whole bunch of new new fighter pilots Mm -hmm. um 
Uh, yeah, Phoenix Squadron has not been impressive thus far. So I, I think that uh, <laughs> yeah. that Hera really needs to whip them into shape because they don't really know what they're doing. Yeah. But but I'll I'll chalk that up to inexperience and to the fact that they're just like they're they're volunteers from from you know uh, sympathetic rebel uh, I, I don't know groups. How, however that works. However these people have come to the rebellion. Yeah. Um, they're not necessarily the best of the best, but between, hopefully between Ahsoka, Hera, and Rex, they can get Sato's group into uh, into fighting shape, so that whatever yeah. you know they they have to deal with later in this season, they're not all just dying because. <laughs> Yeah. Man, they're just getting laid to waste. It's reminding me of of General Grievous in season one and two of Clone Wars, and how he would constantly get his butt handed to him yeah. by Anakin, Obi Wan, Kit Fisto. Didn't really matter who it was. They beat the snot out of General Grievous and his people. So, uh, yeah, the the rebellion re- really needs to step its game up, and hopefully, putting Hera in this position will allow them to do that. Yeah, because yeah. they've been kind of a bit of an embarrassment so far this season, if you ask me. Oh yeah, but all they need is is to, to be wearing red shirts and uh, exactly kind of kind of shows where where they're headed. Uh, they they yeah. mentioned uh, Sato mentions Bail Organa, so he's going to be getting involved in financing yeah. the uh, the production of these of the new new ships and and just the way uh, we talked about the relationship between Kanan and Hera and the way they ended this too about Kanan putting her up for captain and just the way he talks to her it's just. There's no doubt in my mind that these two uh, have a relationship. They're just kind of keeping it, uh, keeping it underground to say yeah. keep the ghost crew safe. So, uh, as far as this episode, you know, they we they, we've heard that they're going to be featuring um, solo kind of solo esque type episodes and getting into the character development. But this one, um, although it kind of centered around Hera, I mean, there was still plenty of other people involved. So it was a, it was. A, it was a cool episode. I mean, it didn't blow me away or anything like this last couple half, you know, but there's definitely some cool things that are going on and kind of building this, um, building it up for this last half of the season. I think I, this sounds like we're going to get more. We'll talk about the next episode here in a minute, but more, um, character featuring, you know, like this is Hera. Last week was, was Ezra. Next week is going to be Sabine. So we'll see how it goes. Um, yeah, uh, but that's going to do it for this episode or not, or this particular uh, I guess we're not done quite yet. We got to talk about next week. Sorry about that. Uh, That's it for Wings of the Master. Wings of the Master. You know, we got to talk about the next episode. Yeah. So next week, um, it's called Blood Sisters, and it uh, features Sabine. And Sabine faces off uh, against an old friend and partner. Take a quick uh, listen to what we're we're uh, headed for next week. I saw your mark, old friend. Friend. That's a generous term, considering what happened. Uh, you two know each other. Still a bounty hunter, I see. Tell me you don't miss it. Wait, 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 wait. You were a bounty hunter? That explains a lot. I don't think Ketsu's here for a reunion. You know me well. I'm just here for the droid. Not you, Chop. Him. So, Sabine, how do you know She never told you how we broke out of the Imperial Academy? That was a long time ago, before you got greedy and left me for dead. <laughs> You'd have been better off dead than joining this band of rebels. I didn't believe it until I saw the Empire put a bounty on you. You gonna try to collect on it? 
haven't decided yet. Besides, I work for the Black Sun, and I have another job to finish first. I can't let you do that. All right, Mike, next week. Wow. So here's Sabine um, talking about uh, meeting up with a bounty hunter from the Imperial Academy. So that was that's interesting. And she's part of the Black Sun. So we're getting the Black Sun back in Star Wars again. We saw him in the Clone Wars, Mike, and now we're coming back to Rebels. So uh, this should be pretty interesting to see where uh, where Sabine came from. Hopefully we'll get a little more like... Like, you know, this one, this particular episode, Wings of the Master, we were supposed to get, like, I thought we were going to get more deep into into Hera. And she did explain, like, why she loves to fly. But we didn't get much of of what's going on. And maybe we'll revisit that in the future. Yeah. I don't know. But I'd really love to see what ha how Sabine got to where she is. And I don't know if you're going to be able to do that in a 22-minute episode. But... Um, I don't know. It, so far, as far as this clip, it doesn't look like we're going to see too much of, of where she came from. But maybe we'll get uh, some some dialogue as to why she left the Imperial Academy and what's going yeah. on. So that's what's coming up next week, Mike. I, and it, uh, do you have any? I mean, as far as this bounty hunter, we haven't had any clues of who this is. I mean, this is, isn't going to be some crazy surprise as who this is. Who this is, right? No, I mean, this no, is. This is. Some, a, I think this is a new. Just a friend. Yeah. Or this is an old friend, apparently, in the Academy. Yeah. So that's what we're looking at next week, Mike. But that's going to do it for this week. That that does it. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, as always, you can keep up to date with all the latest and greatest Star Wars Rebels news by heading to rebelspodcast.com, where Tim does an excellent job of keeping you guys all up to date. Uh, you can also follow us on Facebook over at facebook.com slash rebelspodcast and on Twitter at rebelspodcast. You can follow myself on Twitter at arkwolf, A-R-K-W-U-L-F, as well as Matt at, uh, at the crankster. Uh, yes. That's, that's crankster with a K. And, yes. uh, and uh, I, of course, we are part of the Thunderquack Podcast Network, which uh, you can you can check out more great podcasts in the Thunderquack Podcast Network by heading to thunderquack.com. And, uh, and we implore you to head to patreon.com slash thunderquack and, uh, and help uh, support all of the great podcasts in our network. Uh, uh, we, we definitely uh, we, we would have a harder time running the podcast without support from some of our awesome listeners who, uh, who do a great job over there of, of, uh, of helping us out by pledging uh, their support. And you know what? Every dollar helps. So even if uh, you don't have a lot to give, uh, even even just pledging a dollar uh, helps us bring these episodes to you guys. And here's the thing: if everybody, if everybody who listens to this podcast went and pledged just one dollar, we would uh, more than double what what we currently uh, have pledged. So. Uh, so, you know, like you, you, even if half of those people did, uh, we would be mm -hmm. in awesome shape. So, uh, we appreciate everybody who listens yes, and who does sure. support us. But, uh, but if you haven't checked that out, you should head over there. Um, and you know what, here's the thing. If you've been to our Patreon and you've taken a look at it and you've decided, ah, there's not really anything there for me. Um, let me know, like just shoot us an email, rebelspodcast at gmail.com. And uh, and and let me know uh, what you think of our Patreon. What what you know like uh, 
are the are the the pledge levels too high is there not anything there that you feel like pledging what would you like to get for pledging a dollar five dollars ten dollars like just let us know because we're totally open to feedback uh that stuff can change uh as yoda says always in motion is the future so uh so uh, you know we are we are happy to to make those adjustments if uh, if we get feedback from our audience but uh but you can do that by heading to patreon.com slash thunderquack check that out uh kick in a dollar two dollars five dollars uh you can get some cool perks by doing so and of course you're helping support this podcast and and others um and uh and yeah i mean like that's uh that's 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 basically it for this week yeah uh so we will catch you guys uh next week for the episode blood sisters see you next week